from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 to 9. I will be reading from English Standard Version. Say the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. This is the word of God. Feels, 
coming out of all this, just this, these last uh, few years, that, that people are more uh, anxious, uh, we're more angry, more outraged, people are more depressed, and we see that coming out with uh, you know, drug overdose and, and everything else, that uh, there's so much happening, so much turmoil that seems present in our lives, and just a weight to life uh, right now. And so um, the reminder back to the scriptures and, and back to Jeremiah, uh, it, Jeremiah talks about to this people, uh, the people of Israel, who were, were taken from Jerusalem, uh, conquered by the Babylonians and taken to live in this city called in Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq. Uh, but uh, what Jeremiah writes and what God writes is, is speaking to this identity and purpose, uh, reminding the people in anxious times of who God is and what they're called to do. And I think it's just such a helpful reminder for us uh, in the midst of anxious times, in the midst of all the weight of what's happening in life and the struggles and the sorrows, of reminded what, who are we and what does God call us to do, these identity and purpose. I, I think it's often through suffering uh, that we are remembering uh, that these questions kind of bubble to the surface. You know, we can distract ourselves, uh, we can, can distract our whole lives from, from answering these questions, but there's different times, particularly when we struggle, when friends around us get sick, uh, when, when we've lost people that we love, when our job doesn't work out as we thought, uh, that, that we, we are drawn back to these questions of who am I and how am I meant to live? Identity and purpose, and we see that here. And so the central kind of theme of this passage is that the people of God who are given an identity and placed in exile are sent to seek human flourishing where God has placed them. And so we're going to look at these, uh, this identity and this purpose. So you, you can just put yourself, uh, imagine the people of God uh, who have been taken from their home, from Jerusalem, carried over into captivity from the Babylonians. And Babylon's in modern-day Iraq, so, so they had quite a journey from Jerusalem over to Babylon. And so they're in this ancient city as a conquered people. And you can imagine just the fear, the anxiety. They may never see their home again. Many would never see their home again. Uh, many have probably lost loved ones. Many, many didn't know what was going to happen or how they're meant to live or what life was going to look like uh, there in Babylon. And so here they are in, in exile and uh, just wondering of, of how are we meant to live? What are we supposed to do? How do we cope with all of this? And uh, there's this theme of exile throughout the Bible. Um, so God is telling Israel that their exile is not, is not a mistake here. But in a sense, this theme of exile is carried through throughout the rest of the Bible. Because uh, about 70 years later, you do see some people come back from Babylon to Jerusalem. Some didn't. Uh, but even even that time, uh, you start to have a lot of conquering happening, happening, as was the case then. Where the Persians co conquer the Babylonians, the Greeks conquer the Persians, the Romans conquer the Greeks. And then we find ourselves in New Testament times where Jesus comes in Jerusalem under the occupation of the Romans. And so this exilic uh, theme, this theme of exile, of being in exile, is carried on through the New Testament. Uh, it's even the language used a lot of times for uh, Christians, that, that Paul uh, writes to Christians in the church in Philippi and Philippians that, that they're citizens of heaven, but also citizens of earth. 
that there's these dual realities of, of, of where we're placed, of, of we're very much as those who follow Christ and who believe in Christ are citizens of heaven, but they also find themselves here on earth. And it's, it's how do you relate? Uh, how do these two things converge in the midst of this exile? And I think that there's, we can just imagine the way that we see it play out. There, there's kind of different ways that people respond in the midst of anxiousness and, and crisis and, and, and those kind of things. And uh, there, there's, there's two ways I just wanted to highlight. One is uh, isolation. That you can imagine for the people of Israel there, they're carried off to this foreign place they're, they're put, you know, maybe with their, their families and those things, but it would be incredibly easy for them to say, I'm just going to say, uh, stay alive. I just want to survive this. I just want to, um, you know, make sure, take care of my own, that, that I'm seeking our own welfare here because we're, we're um, going through such a, a hard time. We're, we're in a distant place. And so what they could do is they could easily isolate, right? So be incredibly easy for them to just circle the wagons and, and say, um, you know, we're just, we're just trying to survive together. We're just trying to live here uh, as best we can. We don't, we don't need to talk with, you know, the Babylonians, those kind of things. We're here. We're just going to live here as we, as we are. Um, and, and how incredibly easy that is for us, too, you know, as we think about... Uh, you, those who t view our heavenly citizenship, that, that we're citizens of heaven, it would be very easy to say, well, you know, we know where we're going as, as followers of Jesus to a new heavens, new earth. So I'm just trying to survive, just trying to get there, just trying to make it there. And, and we can see that, that temptation there to, to isolate. Uh, but on the other side, uh, you could also see um, assimilation. <laughs> To assimilate means to, to, take, to kind of take on the ideas, to take on the other culture of the people around them. Um, my son, uh, Jonah, who you've probably seen if you're going outside the service, he's running the halls, sprinting uh, normally, but he's been into, um, we've been into sports a lot lately, so he likes to watch sports, all, you know, all that. And right now, it's baseball season, so we've watched a little bit of baseball. And I, I talk to him, you know, we talk about our favorite teams all the time. He, he wants to know my favorite teams, and he adopts those favorite teams. Uh, but his favorite baseball teams are the Cincinnati Reds uh, and the Chicago Cubs. Uh, the Cubs, due to his grandfather, who's a lifelong Cubs fan, and there truly is no place like the friendly confines of Wrigley Field uh, there. But uh, Jonah and I will be watching baseball. The other day we were watching uh, the Cubs versus the Diamondbacks. A Cubs fan may correct me if I'm wrong there, but he knew it as the red team. And he'll continually ask me, he'll say, you know, Dad, who are you rooting for? The red team or the, you know, the Cubs? And I was like, Jonah, the Cubs are on. Our, you know, we got to go for the Cubs. It's, it, and we look at the score, it's 11 to 5. Uh, and the Diamondbacks are beating the Cubs. And I was saying, Jonah, you know, he's like, Dad, I'm going for the red team. I'm going for the Diamondbacks. And all the loyalty I thought that he had, he suddenly, like, the, the Diamondbacks are winning. I'm going with them. You know, they're the conquerors. They're the heroes. I'm just, I'm going all in for them, you know. My identity, my loyalties can be swayed instantly. And it's just, it's funny. It's just funny, um, the, the fact that he, you know, there's that shifting loyalty there uh, so easily based on who's winning. But I think when we, we see that also... Um, this idea of, of assimilation, of where 
Uh, it would be also easy for the people of Israel, and, and really the goal of the Babylonians at that time was, was not so much to oppress the people that they conquered, but they would bring them to Babylon, and they wanted their children to assimilate. They wanted to, to teach them the Babylonian ways and, and the Babylonian gods and, and, and all of that, that they wanted them to become like them. And this really is the story of Israel throughout the, you know, the Old Testament where God had given uh, his law, God had revealed himself to, to specific people called Israel, calling them to be a light to other nations, and instead uh, they become like the other nations. And so they really end up becoming uh, what they're worshiping, that they, they take on uh, these false identities there. Um, so what God's doing here through Jeremiah is writing to them in Babylon, and Jeremiah the prophet is writing the words of God and saying, look at verse 4, it says, Jeremiah writes uh, from the Lord, he says, Thus said the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. So right here, uh, God is reminding them of identity. Uh, the Lord of hosts, it, it could also be translated the Lord of armies, uh, not just of you know, physical armies, but heavenly armies. It's, this, it's used throughout the Old Testament, but it's this idea that God is ruler over all, that, that, that the heavenly hosts and the heavenly armies are there. And so he says the, the Lord of hosts, but then he also says something else, the God of Israel, that, that it, we can easily skip over that part, but he's saying the Lord of hosts, the heavenly hosts, the God who rules over all, but also very specifically to the people of Israel in Babylon, he's saying the God of Israel. That he's using this language that's used throughout the Bible of covenant, of that he is our God and we are his people. And he's reminding them that their identity in the midst of this is as the people of God. Um, as the story of God develops further, we see in the personal work of Christ a greater reality, a fuller picture and an, a, um, of what identity in God is meant to look like. So Hebrews 1 says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. And so that, that idea of identity in, in anxious times is that continual reminder of ourselves that, that in Christ uh, we are united to him, we're forgiven, uh, and we're made whole, that we don't have to seek our worth, our identity, anything else outside of, uh, outside of him. I've um, been reading a book called You Are Not Your Own. Uh, it's by a guy named Alan Noble. Uh, it's a really good uh, book, but the central thesis of the book is this. Uh, he says, you are your own and belong to yourself. This is the fundamental assumption of modern life. And if we are our own, then it's up to us to forge our own identities and to make our lives significant. While this may sound empowering, it turns out to be a crushing responsibility, one that never delivers on its promise for a free and fulfilled life, but instead leaves us burned out, depressed, anxious, and alone. You are your own and belong to yourself. And so this gets into that thought of identity, of, of who are we. And what we see is if, if we're trying to define ourselves and create our own meaning, our own identity, 
we end up just burned out, stressed, because we're always trying to, to, we're always changing, and we're always trying to redefine what that means. We're always trying to interpret what our life means, what our purpose is. But you contrast that here with the central claim of Christianity is this, from the Heidelberg Catechism, I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. You see those two contrasts, and we see how easy it is. Uh, in anxious times, we kind of can shift identities, or we're always asking, who are, am I, or, or what my purpose is. But what God continually reminds his people of is that we are not our own, but in Christ we belong to him. Paul used the term in Christ over 160 times in the New Testament, this this thought of that we've been united in a very real sense, union with Christ. We've been united to him in death. Therefore, we're free to not have to determine our own identity because it comes from outside of us. It's not internal. It's not exhausting because of what God has done in Christ through us, that we know who we are, uh, body and soul, life and death, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. So God's reminding the people here the, the Lord of hosts, the God over all, the God of Israel, who they are, uh, their identity. But we also see then the purpose. How are they meant to live? We see here that they are sent to seek human flourishing where God has placed them. Um, first, God says to settle into Babylon. He says to multiply, to build houses and to live in them, to plant vineyards and eat produce, to multiply and increase as you marry and have kids. They're to settle into where God's placed them, but also not lose sight of the fact that they're exiles and they're people of God. Um, so we see that, that, that God is calling them to do very normal things, uh, that they're here, in Babylon, they're here in Babylon. And so he's saying, go ahead and marry. Um, go ahead and plant vineyards, eat produce, to, to live normal life here in Babylon. Now, there, there, there were these prophets there at the time, and that's what Jeremiah writes later to in this text, that were saying, giving these kind of promises that weren't from God, but saying that God's saying, you're going to be back in Jerusalem in just a few years. God's saying it's all going to work out. He's going to conquer the Babylonians, and you'll, you'll be on your way back. And what Jeremiah is saying is, is no, you, this, this can be a hard time. You're going to be here for a while in a foreign place. And God has placed you here. And so therefore, I'm calling you to live as people uh, placed, placed there and to do normal things, to build and to live in them, to plant vineyards, eat the produce, uh, those kind of things. And so uh, next comes something quite shocking, though. You know, there's that tendency, even if they were meant to do that, to either kind of isolate themselves as a community, as the people there, and just live their own way. Or, you know become like the Babylonians, and that's, that was their goal, to, to do that. But look at verse 7 of God saying what they're called to do here, because this is, it, it's kind of shocking when we think about the reality of where they are and, and uh, what they're meant to, to do. It says, look at verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city, of the place filled with our enemies, to seek the welfare of the people who have taken us from our home in captivity. You know, like, if we just put ourselves there, that my call 
is to seek their welfare and the good of this place, of the distance place, that's ru- these people have ruined my life as I know it. They've taken everything from me, put me in this place. I'm called then to seek their welfare. And that's what God is saying, that as those, the people of God, our call is to be, they're sent to seek the welfare of those living in Babylon, the, the people of Babylon. The word welfare here is the Hebrew word shalom. Many of you have heard shalom, I'm sure it's very... Um, prominent word throughout the Bible, and, and there could be, there's whole books written on the meaning of shalom throughout the Bible and the scriptures, because shalom means a lot more than just um, peace or freedom from violence or something. It's often translated peace or welfare or things like that, but it, it means much more than that. It, it's got this sense of wholeness uh, the shalom of God, the, the peace of God, the wholeness of God, the completeness of God. It's got a sense of justice to it, that, that the shalom, the peace of God, that God is bringing about his justice and that we are to seek uh, just justice as well. And then it's also just the peace, the prosperity of Babylon. And so when he says, seek the welfare, he's saying, seek the peace, seek the shalom of the city of where you are um, there. And notice the active language here. He's not saying, if they come to you, if they come into your world, if they enter your space and your little community, show them shalom, show them love, show them, show them peace. He's actually saying, no, you are sent. <laughs> You're sent out to seek the shalom and the peace and the wholeness of, of his foreign people. In a distant land of people who are far from God, of people who don't share your values, of people who are very distant and different, that your call is to seek their welfare, to seek their peace, to see others come to know God, uh, and to long for that to happen. It's this very active reminder of what Christians are called to do in our identity, in Christ, and the purpose uh, in sending out. And we think about it. Think of Jesus, right? So God the Father sends God the Son. He sends him to seek and to save the lost. That Jesus enters as full, you know, fully God, fully human, into our world, into our life, into a life of, of poverty. And he comes and everything he's doing is not only preaching the truth and grace of God, but he's also bringing about peace, wholeness, healing, restoration. That, that others are attracted to him because of him going out. He's breaking down all kinds of barriers as he goes. You see him with the Samaritans uh, who were just hated at the time. Those are people you don't talk to. And you see Jesus come and engage again and again because he's sent out to seek and to save the lost. And that's where we see this idea of peace, of the shalom of God more fully realized in the personal work of Christ as he comes and he establishes his peace to us. And so it's just this active language. And it's so easy to isolate. It's so easy to assimilate, to take on other identities just because it's, it's easier at the time. But God is saying, be a distinct people. And definitely, definitely plant houses, take wives, do normal things of life, care for your own. But he's also saying, there's an active sense. My purpose for you here is that you are sent to seek the shalom the peace, the wholeness the, the, of, of where I found you, where I placed you. And so what does it mean uh, to seek the peace? 
What does that mean in our context? I'm just thought of a, thinking of a few ways in, w- in which this, w- w- what this means, but um, it means serving our city, city or neighborhoods instead of using it. Uh, when many people think about where they live or what, what we do, it's so easy to, to think about what it has to offer us. So we can, all, we can think of what services does it have, what parks does it have, what activities does it have, what, what are the schools like in the neighborhood. Um, it, it's so easy to think that is the central theme of what I'm, what I'm looking for. Or think of jobs, the way people look at that. And we can often think of jobs as a uh, vocation of, of what we can get from them. Uh, the pay rate, the paycheck to make money. Others look and work just that sense of identity and purpose that um, gets disordered, you know? And that's really what sin does, is it, it takes some very normal things and we can disorder those loves. Instead of our primary identity coming from, from God and Christ, we can make them about what we can get and what meaning those provide for me. And we can often do that with the place we live or what we do for work where it can come to define us more than being a people of Christ sent out to seek uh, the welfare of those around us. Um, so we start to ask questions like, how does our community, how does my street, how does my area know that we love them even if they don't believe? Do we, th- do we think about that? How, does my, how do my neighbors, how does our community know that we love them even if they don't believe? It's that thought of seeking Shalom, seeking the peace, that active presence of going out. It means that people need to know not only what the gospel is, but also see what the gospel does. People need to know not only what the gospel is, but see what the gospel does. Um, In 1975, more than two-thirds of Americans expressed a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church. So being an accountant that is... 66.6666667. 66.6666667. If you're a mathematician, you may correct me. So, um, <laughs> But two-thirds, 1975, of Americans expressed a great deal or quite a lot of confidence in the church. Uh, as of 1985, organized religion was the most revered institution, just speaking in the American to- context, in, in the American uh, evangelical church. And so these were studies done over time. Today... Gallup reports just 37% of Americans have confidence in the church. And so we see that shift where we see 1975, 66.6667, shift down to 37. And there's a lot of nuances. There's a lot of reasons for why that happens. People are writing a lot on that right now. Um, But I think in that idea of, of people need to know not only what the gospel is, but see what the gospel does, we live in a time that it's, it's ever more and more easier to isolate than ever, right? We have news that caters to our particular views. Uh, we have neighborhoods, you know, people are moving more and more according to, to where they align on certain places. It's just, we've got streaming services. You can, you know, pull in your garage from work, put down your garage door and go straight up and, you know, catch the the latest endless amount of content and shows and and other things. And so our lives are just right now kind of built around this idea that we are able to isolate more than ever. Um, But it also means that people need to know not only what the gospel is, but see what it does, that that it, it takes real relationships 
with other people, with people who disagree with us, of people who have different persuasions of, of those things. It takes inviting not yet Christians into our life together as community. Um, I, Elena, who was here from Bulgaria last week, I don't know if many of you were here uh, for her, but she just shared, she's a missionary over in Bulgaria, and she works particularly with college students. And as we were talking with her, just even her story, her testimony was the fact that she said, in Bulgaria, everyone thinks Christianity is a cult uh, because all the Christians, you, you know, have long beards. The, the Orthodox Christianity, she, she's like, I'd never met a Christian. I'd never encountered someone who I, I viewed as somewhat normal who, you know, was a, was a Christian. And she said it, it took a, a few people that came into her life that she perceived as kind of normal people, but they had this love for God, and they talked about Jesus, and she thought it was so strange uh, that they would talk about Jesus with, with her, but it wasn't a, um, let me share the bridge illustration with you as soon as, as soon as I get a hold of you. It wasn't that. It was through real relationships, they began to talk, and someone had given her a New Testament, and she began to read it, and God drew her, and she was saved, and, and now she's doing that among college students over there in Bulgaria, but it's just that, that sense that um, if we're not having real relationships with people outside the faith who, who don't, uh, you know, if we're isolating our lives, um, oftentimes the, the gospel doesn't go forth in that context. That, but if we're living with people, around people, and, and listening to them, their, their hopes, their fears, their dreams, um, you know, just that thought of a listening ear, uh, in real relationships, that God begins that work to bring people to know him and to love him in drawing people into uh, the community. And so we see that, and we see our greatest need, absolutely greatest need, is everyone to be reconciled to God in Christ. And we must know that the mission of God, it includes seeking the welfare of those around us as well. It's that we're, we're to make, make things better. So it also means embracing those different from us, not controlled by guilt or fear, but compelled by love. The Babylonians were probably quite scary. They had conquered the people of Israel. They had carried them off. I'm sure they were bigger or stronger, you know, like they were the, the new thing in the area. And how incredibly easy it would be to just have that sense of fear of what they may do, of you know, how they may influence our children, of, of, of all of those things. And we could be easy, easily controlled by fear. But this call here to seek the shalom, seek the peace, is one of those compelled by love. See, when God changes our identity in Christ, he compels us by love to go out. Um, Babylon filled with people who didn't hold the values they found no common identity in God, yet God's call is to love and to seek their welfare. It's this welcome, and it's not a call that they become like them. It's, it's a call that they live as distinct people, firmly rooted in who they are, and then seek to love. Seek to love. And it means getting specific about what seeking the shalom of our city looks like in our context, the peace. Uh, and so... I think it just gets into, it's easy to read and to talk about, but it's much harder to think through 
What does God long for us as Redeemer Church, as a community of people? How do we seek the shalom, seek the welfare, see, see others come to know him? Um, how do we do that uh, in our context? What do people in our community need spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically? And how can we as the people of God be a part of, be a part of that? And then verse 7 says, Pray the Lord on its behalf, and in its welfare you will find your welfare. So in all this, this identity rooted in Christ, our purpose to go out and seek the peace, seek the welfare, to make disciples, uh, to see healing and wholeness affect where we live and among people who are different from us, there's this sense of dependence on God because it's so exhausting to try and do ourselves. It's, it's incredibly exhausting that if, if our only thought is just to, to, to just go out and do this on our own strength, and what God longs for is that we are regularly reminding us of our own identity in Christ, which it's, it's hard for us to pursue a purpose if we don't know who we are in our own identity. And many of us feel like that, you know, of, of that question of like, who am I? And that daily reminder, that need to, to be reminded of that I am united to Christ. That is not about what other people think about me. Uh, it's not about, you know, what I do. It's not about what I, you know, the significance that I can find through the things that I want to do. It's about that I know Christ and he has lived in my place and died in my place, and he has risen from the dead, and we have the promise of resurrection. And it's that, that dependence on God that, that lets us go out, that lets us be just completely uncomfortable. And you imagine, that's, you got to, the, the people in Israel had to be like that, going out to Babylonians, the people they conquered, just that uncomfortable nature of that. But that's where God's at work. That's where his spirit comes and moves. And then finally, as we seek the peace, we're to be committed to the long term. Uh, what Jeremiah says here is, you're going to be here at least 70 years. Uh, so get used to this place. Uh, he's, he's, he's saying, it's not a quick fix. There's no, you're going to be here. And, and it's just that sense of wherever God has put us, wherever God has placed us, we can commit ourselves to seeking the peace, seeking the welfare, seeking the shalom, seeking the, the wholeness in that place uh, there. And so um, our neighborhoods, they're filled with people who will never enter a church building. Think of that. 37% have a negative view towards Christianity in, in America today. M many people will never enter a church building They'll never respond to a stranger showing up at their door. Um, they may never come to uh, invite general on Facebook. So how do we seek their welfare? How do we seek um, them to know Christ? We must go to them, committed to serve, know and love for them in the long term, even if they don't believe. That when we don't see people as a project to win over, but a people to love, it completely changes us. So those who receive the peace, the shalom of Christ, were sent to seek the shalom, the peace and wholeness where God's placed us. So we go remembering that it was Jesus who was sent to seek us, and Christ who brings peace to all things and reconciles all things to himself. We have the promise that we have entered and will more fully enter his true shalom, his true peace, 
our wholeness in the new heavens, new earth. And we remember in Christ that we can finally find wholeness, completeness, and don't need to try and find purpose and meaning outside of him. In Christ, we're sent to seek not to find purpose, but because we found purpose, we've entered into his story, and we long for others to know him. Let's pray. Father, I pray that um, in anxious times, and as we often ask those questions of ourselves, of, of who are we and how are we meant to live, and how the suffering, the weight of life can often draw these things out, um, we pray that we would be those remembering our union with Christ, that all through, through faith in Christ are united to him, that we are not our own and that we um, belong in life and death to Jesus Christ. We pray that that would be on our minds continually and that that would send us out as a sent people seeking the welfare uh, of those around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.